like to now introduce our speaker for tonight, Z. Thank you. Thank you, Gary. Hi, everybody. I'm Z. I'm a compulsive overeater. <laughs> okay, come on, do it for me. Hi, Z. Thank you. And I did that because just to adhere to tradition, the program says personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and the Internet. <laughs> and I just feel like I don't have any personal anonymity with my name, which is so far that I've been in OA 30 years unique, meaning there is nobody else with my name. And it's not an ego thing, it's, you know, but it's, anyway, <laughs> guess what? It is an ego thing because all these famous people are going to be going onto the Internet and listening to me. And um, so anyway, actually that's, that's in my mind, part of the reason that they wrote that tradition, because so we, in fact, a large part of the reason, so we wouldn't get all caught up in the ego and this and that. So it's not any like stylish, you know. You may call me Alexandra now. <laughs> um, so anyway, hello, hello, and I want to thank John for asking me today, and congratulations to the chip person and happy birthday, Rachel. I'm extremely grateful to be a member of Overeaters Anonymous. Um, if I don't eat one second at a time in about three weeks' time, I will have uh, 26 years of back-to-back abstinence. And as our good friend Carol always says, you like to applaud for God. And then I heard somebody add to that, uh, to this morning, you like to applaud for the food because it was the food that got me to hit bottom and keeps me here today. The painful, uh, pitiful, and incomprehensible demoralization, that is what I credit with 26 years or one day of abstinence. Um, And I'm maintaining about a 45-pound weight loss that I like to give those statistics, although it's really more dramatic if you tell this really gory before story and then you hit them with the 26 years, then you really get a plot. <laughs> Not that I've been analyzing speakerdom in 30 years of OA, you know. <laughs> I have. <laughs> anyway, um, where do I begin? No instructions, huh? Oh, I know what I was thinking about. When I led here... It was the last time. It was five years ago, and it was about 30 days after I'd gotten married for the first time at age 44. So I talked a lot about that. And guess what? It's five years later, and I'm still married. (laughs) And that, for a compulsive overeater, I'm pretty sure a lot of you can relate to that. You know, when I got married, I thought it was a miracle of mankind, you know, and now I realize what a miracle it is to to still be married. And, you know, this is kind of a good topic for me because although it's not per se part of OA, you know, those feelings of not lovable, not desirable, who would ever want to stay in the same room for me, you know, the same house with me, you know, and this man asked me to spend the rest of his life with him, and he's completely whacked, no, (laughs) Um, and so, I don't know, and you know, I I talk a lot, when I got here, and I would go to these great meetings, and such, they would talk about having our dreams come true, and they would say things like, um, you know, you'll dream new dreams, and and also, it just, you know, I think that being able to continue on in an intimate relationship, um, you know, I mean, this program, we have all those feelings, like I said, of self-hatred and 
I'm no good and I'm a freak of nature. And so um, the program is really responsible for everything in my life, including the five years of marriage. And, of course, we have our ups and downs like everyone does. Um, but he's been good lately, so no. <laughs> um, another thing I wanted to mention, because I was thinking about it, is that I really, I got, like, kind of nervous before doing this, um, knowing that it was going to be taped, it would be a different thing if it just wasn't being taped. But, you know, and it kind of, like, got, got to my head, you know, and like I was kidding before, famous people are, you know, people all over the world are going to hear it. And I have to tell you one really good story. Um, somebody called me oh, within this last year, and she said, I'm so grateful. Uh, I have to tell you that she works at the one of the big studios in town, okay, she said, and there I was, like, listening to you on my iPod at this big studio, and that just went right to my head, okay. <laughs> so, um, you know, and, and the things that have been so core uh, that were taught to me here is that it is all about my ego and that I have to have a continual reduction of the ego. And uh, I tell you what, it started with the food, of course, um, and I, I try to really continue today been saying this a lot, to keep telling on myself. You know, I need to just keep telling on myself. And in terms of the taping and of all of this and everything, you know, I'm not up here at any meeting when, when I do get asked the, the privilege of leading a meeting. I am not up there to impress. You know, I'm up here to expose myself and to tell my secrets. I'm sick as I'm secret. Um, and to continue to be one of. It's all that you know, ego thing. And, of course, when I got here, I had to be on the top of the heap or I was, you know, the worst person in the room. And it's, um, you know, I love that idea of, you know, oh, you call your sponsor or whomever, and, you know, um, I feel so bad. I have, I'm into such so much self-hatred, and I'm no good. And, um, you know, and the answer to that is it doesn't matter. Well, I'm going to screw this up. But, um the problem isn't that you're thinking badly of yourself. The problem is that you're thinking of yourself. <laughs> you know. Um, so anyway, well, I better, I have a lot of time. Oh, do I have a timer, by the way? Okay, thanks. Because what I'd really love to do is save the last, since I have 40 minutes, is save the last 10 minutes for Q&A because um, that keeps me honest, too. There's, you know. Um, so I will go back and do my history and um can I see a show of hands of people who have been in, been in OA, not abstinent right now, but been in OA less than a year? Okay, awesome. Okay, great. Um, so my story with food is that I was a really like a complete normie physically and with food up until the age of about 11 or 12. I was skinny. I'm, I'm a small person. I would eat when I was full. And this is something that just cracks me up. I mean, I would eat until I was satisfied and full. And it just cracks me up because that is so long gone. <laughs> and having that normal, what do you call it, like an th internal thermostat with the food. Oh, I've had enough. I feel so stuffed, you know. My friend Helen and I joke all the time about rich foods and stuff. And, like, we'll be at a deli or something and look at that elaborate dessert case in the front. And, and, she'll, and she'll go to me, do you want a cookie? And I go, it looks too rich, you know. Or, or I'll go, well, if we split it, because, you know, I can't eat a whole cookie. <laughs> and, so we, you know, it's like there's never enough, you know. They say that um, one bite is too many and then, uh, did I say, yeah, and a million is never enough. 
And so, you know, I have a hollow leg for food. I have a hollow leg for praise and attention. And But I really have to say today that um, as far as that praise and attention thing, because I've talked about that a lot in OA, it is so much better. I don't crave it. I think that part of that is a function of age. Like, maybe I just don't even want to work that hard <laughs> anymore. Um, but, so anyway, so yes, a skinny kid, and then, but I had all the internal characteristics of being a compulsive overeater. I took everything personally. I thought the world was looking at me. I was um, so sensitive, and people used to tell me that, and I thought that was a good thing to be, you know. Men, I was like, had a deep soul, and I was a feeling person, and of course, I came to find out it was huge downfall, and that continues today, um, but, I, but I get to work on it, and it is much better. Um, so I had all of those things completely self-centered, did not understand the word selfish in the big book when I got here, just didn't get it at all. Um, but anyway, but now, of course, in retrospect, I realize I was, um, and what I do understand, a word I like almost better is self-centered. I'm centered on myself all the time, you know, all then, all the time. And that's an extremely painful place to be. That's what I learned here. That's not what I expected to learn, any of that stuff. Um, and the, I'm obviously jumping around quite a bit, but the greatest antidote for me to pain, any kind of emotional or spiritual pain, is to pick up the phone and call somebody else and talk to somebody else. i got to tell you, too, diversion is just, any kind of diversion, <laughs> get out of my head, is really good, which is why, you know, just sometimes the actions here, put the chairs away, um, you know, even just the physical stuff, which I really got into in the beginning. So, but anyway, um, at the age of 12 or so, I was studying ballet, and it very much linked for me because I became uh, obsessed with my body and my weight and with dieting and with food. And my teacher just absolutely adored me when I was so, so skinny. And the minute I hit puberty and gained about four pounds, then he started in because dancers had to be, like, underweight. You know, it's not necessarily that way anymore, but it was back then. And, uh, of course, I wanted to please him like crazy, and so I started the cycle of dieting and dieting and really binging pretty much from the beginning. Another reason I like to talk about that is because he was also a maniac and used to literally hit us and sometimes not with his hand necessarily but with this wooden peg that he would count out the time, a wooden dowel, and then he'd come over and if our hip was up or, you know, whatever, he'd swat us with it and girls had welts that they went to the doctor and documented and this and that. And you know what, um, I mean, I just thrived under that kind of a situation. You know why? Because I just figured out, like, you know, that, 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 like, hyper-vigilant, you know, ego, whatever I can do to protect myself. But beyond protection, it was more like, this is the man that if you get his praise, man, you're really good. And, you know, I've never said that at a meeting, but I'm just realizing that. And um, I've always been good at figuring out what you want out of me. <laughs> what does that say? <laughs> and um, instead of being myself, um, because I needed you to tell me that I was okay. And uh, so he rarely hit me. <laughs> and another reason why I have to be totally honest, I came to realize years later, is that I was one of the girls there who had a father. A lot of the other girls, were, they a family of single moms. But I had a dad who could come and hit him back. 
And um, so anyway, but I really, man, my disease blossomed because I just got into figuring out how to please him at, at any price um, and got into um, the cycle of dieting and, and, and binging. And it just snowballed from there. Um, I uh, quit ballet at the age of 15 or 16 and went nuts uh, with ego and identity. I thought I was a dancer and was meaningless without that. Again, problem with the ego. And I was thinking of this other phrase that I love. Um, you're that piece of crap around which the world revolves, right? <laughs> so um, anyway, and um, I did a bunch of geographics at this point in my life. I went from um, L.A. to first year of college in New York. Then that was all wrong. The college was wrong for me. So I went back to L.A. to Santa Barbara to a real rah-rah all-American college for one quarter couldn't last. It's some serious dieting with my roommate and binging my guts out. Um, came back to L.A., went back to ballet full-time, um, and then went to Pittsburgh to get into ballet company. Didn't last long. Went to New York again. And then finally, always thinking, you know, that the outsides were going to fix me. Um, and even at this point, I was in OA. But I want to tell the one story about that. Um, to get into this ballet company in Pittsburgh, um, my teacher looked at me one day. She'd gotten a job there. And she said, if you lose 20 pounds, I'll get, get you to the, into the company in Pittsburgh. So I went on pre-digested liquid protein, and, um, which was a thing in the 80s. And for those who are old enough, and um, with 80s seems like yesterday. <laughs> but um, you didn't eat. You just took like four tablespoons, three, four times a day of this stuff, which is probably just pure protein or something. And another thing, I've been telling this story for like 26 years. It occurred to me like six months ago, who pre-digested that? <laughs> like, what does that mean? So I'm sure it was all a scam. But, of course, I did it. So I went on this stuff, and I fasted literally for like two and a half weeks straight. And then I, and the weight dropped off, as you might imagine. And I um, flew to Pittsburgh, but with a little weekend play trip in New York prior to arriving there. And guess what I did? In, you know, but four days, I put on enough weight to blow it. And I arrive in Pittsburgh, and I'm in my audition, and blah, blah, blah. And then the director of this ballet company takes me into her office, and she says, I'm sorry, but we're not running a spa for fat dancers. And so, and I have to tell you, you know, that those oohs and ahs, you know, are part of the healing that goes on here over the years. I always feel so good when I hear that. <laughs> um, and, of course, two, three guesses on what I did the moment after that meeting ended. <laughs> and I was in OA at that point. I was in for a full year. But I really believe I had no concept of being powerless over food. So I did take my big book down from the shelf where it was gathering dust that night and looked at step one and it was like this dawning enlightenment. Oh, I don't have any power over food, you know. Um, but I still could not get abstinent after that point. And of course that was the pinnacle of a lifelong dream, right? Um, so anyway, but I, I, um, I should skip back just a minute and say that when I came to OA the first time, I was, I think it was 18, and what really got me was people lost their weight and kept it off. I was sold when I heard that. And they have sparkle in their eye and had been depressed like me. And, you know, I kind 
skimmed over this, well, sort of skimmed over this part, but um, I had gotten just horribly depressed and like all of us, I'm no different, and anxious and um, I'd written a suicide note at age 16, and I was one of those kinds that never would have done it, you know, but um, miserable, nowhere to turn, probably overly dramatic, for sure, but anyway, all that good stuff that goes along with it. The things I were seemed unacceptable to me when I got here was um, the higher power um, and the concept of powerlessness, and that I was an addict, and that I had the disease, and that I would have it one day at a time for the rest of my life. These were just seemed unacceptable to me. Um, but I wanted what they had more than the objections. And I think OA makes it really easy on you. Um, you know, it says you don't have to accept any of this stuff. You don't have to pay for it. You know, nothing. Just keep coming back and keep an open mind. So anyway, that's what I did. And then blah, 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 flying to Pittsburgh, blah, blah, blah. Um, one Friday night, I, I had a binge, and I hope today that it's my last binge. What did I hear this morning at a meeting? Um, oh, I guess people were just talking about the idea that it's so much harder to get abstinent than it is to stay abstinent. Um, and so I had this binge, and it was a mild binge, and I like to say if you're waiting, you know, to get abstinent for the worst binge you've ever had, you know, that might not be the picture. This was one of the mildest ones I ever had, but something happened inside. And part of it was pure vanity, which makes perfect sense to me. I had lost some weight prior to that, and I was now binging daily, and I was afraid I was going to gain all my weight back. So what better motivation for a compulsive overeater? Um, I went to this gigantic meeting the next day that was just like glowing and fantastic. I also want to share a bit of history here. It was the podium like this, and um, in order to share at this meeting, there was a sign right here on the front of the podium that said you had to have 30 days of abstinence, and I want to hear your gasps, you had to be 30, uh, 10 pounds within your goal weight. And I loved it. I mean, I would thank you. Uh, you know, and I say it like if I tried to bring that back today, I'd be lynched. <laughs> um, and I'm sad about that. I think I, OA has really changed. But wait, ooh, who put the soapbox underneath me? Um, and um, I think we have taken, you know, it's like there's three, it's a three-legged stool here. And this is what I was taught from the beginning. It's physical, emotional, and spiritual. And if you take away one of the, legs, it's all going to fall down. And I feel in the last several years that the physical has been, you know, just kind of tossed aside. And if you say the words goal weight at a meeting, you know, you get dirty looks. And I do have people who don't like me here. And, <laughs> and I've had to put principles before personalities and my ego and my desire to be liked by everyone. Uh, because to me, it's a life and death program. And I am not saying that I shove anything down people's throats. Everything, if I object to something, it goes to group conscience and we take a vote. However, I can't keep my mouth shut about certain things because it's a life and death program and it's not just my life, but it's the newcomer coming in. I'll give you an example because I've now gone out on a limb. <laughs> um, I had, was secretary of a newcomer's meeting and um, you're going to hate me for saying this, but you know what? That's okay, too. I said that already. I'm, okay, repeating myself. And um, after about six months or a year, I can't remember how long, 
another secretary came in. And there are only two newcomers meetings a week in the Los Angeles area now. And history again, when I came in, there were a lot more. And they used to be giant. I mean, things have changed. Everything's changed. Let's face it. Meetings used to be two years, uh, two years long, two hours long as well. Um, most majority. So, um, so this meeting, and this happened probably two years ago. Um, the new secretary comes in and repeatedly was getting someone who was obese to lead the newcomers meeting. And I spoke up. And I said, could we have the group contents? And could we make a little by law rule in this uh, meeting that the um, leaders at the newcomers meeting should be at goal weight or at healthy weight? And I was voted down seven to one, you know. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, again, I mean, if I just go back to the AA principles, which I was raised on, if that kind of, and you know what, it's not, I mean, we're all at different places. We're, you know, and I can't, I can't judge. I'm really good at judging. I will cop to that. Um, I'm feeling superior to other people. I cop to that. But at the same time, I was just saying, one little meeting a week, 30 minutes, just the leader. You know, I'm not saying they got to be skinny. You know, I'm just saying, just for this meeting, please. No. So this is, frankly, I'm just going to say it saddens me, you know, and, and I'd like to speak about it because, again, it's a life and death thing. And um, so anyway, um, and that's what the newcomer sees when they come in. And to my mind, the reason that we're not as big, because we used to have 100 meetings a week in L.A. We now have 60. Um, it's part of this is why uh, people don't want what we have. So, okay. Um, <laughs> I lost the train of thought there, but I was talking about God and coming into the program and that night, right. So and then the next morning, and um, what I did differently that next morning after that binge was ask someone to sponsor me who really intimidated me and someone who was really working the program hard and quoting the big book and who I had been hiding from the previous kind of four years in OA. And everything changed that day. Um, she basically said, here's the certain things that you have to do or we won't work together. And they were really very simple. It was probably four meetings a week. I had to get a service commitment at a meeting. Um, I had to read four pages of the 12 and 12 every night uh, or the big book. Uh, blah, blah, blah. But the point was I had reached a point where I was willing um, to not argue anymore and to tweak it and to work it to fit me. Um, and if I were to have to distill, uh, surrender, you know, it's such a huge, complicated, hard-to-understand concept, um, it would be follow, you know, if I had to distill it down, it would be follow your sponsor's directions. And, you know, and so um, also I, it was a real gift that at that time she was in AA as well as OA, and so she said you have to go to at least one AA meeting a week in addition. And I just learned a great deal that I glommed on to at that point um, from the AA meetings. And one of them was this emphasis on just don't take that first drink. You know, just don't take that first bite. And we, all our pamphlets, 
I sound like a real bleeding deacon. And, um, but, you know, they used to say at the top, before you take that first bite, call. And so it was all about staying abstinent in that first bite. And I learned, it was drilled into me, that abstinence is the most important thing in my life without exception. And I like to say that today. Um, and if I lose everything if I don't make that my priority. Um, and I also learned in the beginning um, to be, this is good, uh, to be, one of the main things for me was how to be average. And that was appalling to me. Um, you know, like in those ballet days and such, I was going to be one of the best, greatest dancers in the world that ever lived. That was the ego and such. And um, I couldn't have those kinds of expectations and standards and still abstain. My, as far as the food goes, my sponsor said, Three meals a day, nothing in between, no sugar, flour, and starch. Now, again, this was 26 years ago, and um, we, you know, I mean, maybe it's not the healthiest thing in the world not to have any kind of grain or starch or anything like that, but we didn't know that back then. And as a friend of mine says, if my sponsor had said, eat blue food, I'd say, how many ounces, you know. <laughs> so I just did it. And, um, you know, I get this question, how much time do I have left, by the way? Okay. Right. Okay, cool. Thank you. I get this question a lot today. Uh, what's a food plan? What's abstinence? What do I eat? How do I eat? This and that. And um, the way that I answer it is, and I heard someone today just say the greatest thing, first, identify your alcoholic foods. You know, those. And I heard another person last week say the funniest thing. She says she kind of defines what to eat and what not to eat around the foods that talk to her. And she said, you know, she can, if she goes and tries to eat two cookies as dessert, you know, those cookies are talking to her all night long. And if she eats Brussels sprouts, not a word. <laughs> so um, that was the idea about no sugar, flour, and starch, is that flour or, you know, any kind of grain or any even potato turns into sugar in our system and we're addicted to sugar so we don't eat any of it. And, and I didn't eat any, I didn't have a, a slice of bread or any of that for a full year and then I slowly brought it back. Anyway, um, you know, what it looked like for me mostly, I would say, um, and it's interesting, someone shared earlier about coming to really feel that God was going to take care of all aspects of her life. And I have to say um, that, would you sponsor me if she left? <laughs> um, yeah, that, um, you know, I today I believe in higher power. I call it God. Um, and I just realized recently that some days I understand he, she, it really well, and other days I don't at all. But I would have to say that God, this higher power concept for me has been wrapped in, uh, it's people, oh, it's um, God is my, you know, I'm not getting this right, but it's people wrapped in skin, you know, like I need God with skin on him, if, if you know what I mean. And I use the phone a lot. And that's what I mean. I rely on the people in, in OA. Um, I know, you know, sponsors can have play feet. People won't be there. I'm, I'm big into prayer, all this stuff. But that's how I came to understand that, that higher power. Um, and I can totally lose faith. Totally, totally. And I've had lots of interesting experiences, like doing great on a job and then getting fired, not understanding it at all. 
four months after I married my husband, he was diagnosed with bladder cancer. He's great today. They removed his bladder. We had a bye-bye bladder party. <laughs> Laughter. It's the 14 steps. And um, so he is really great. But there have been these shocking things, you know, and it's interesting. I, I, again, I want to tell on myself, my brother killed himself in 1996. My husband was diagnosed with cancer. But you know the things that got me even way worse than anything that happened to anyone else is the things that happened to me when I got fired. Like, fired? Kind of, so what? But I was more traumatized over that, you know. And, um, again, I just like to keep telling on myself. Because, for one thing, I got a lot of, like, a lot of pats on the back, both in both of those instances, brother and husband. You know, you're so good, you're so strong, or, you know. Um, and I can get it off on that. And um, so it's just all good. Keep telling my secrets. Remember, Michael... L says, he gets up at the podium and he says, what don't I want to talk about today? And then he'll proceed to talk about that. Um, so, anyway, let's see, where was I? Oh, yeah, the concept of a higher power. And so, and the other thing, the way that I've come to understand a power greater than myself is um, through action. Uh, you know, they say in the big book, action is the magic word. So I got really heavily into that in the beginning. And um, it would make me feel like a million bucks to give someone a ride home. Or, you know, I began to find that taking those, I guess they say today, like those esteemable actions, that builds my esteem inside and my dignity. Whereas I could read and read and affirm and affirm and affirm and it does nothing for me um, in my head. So um, so there's that. And as I said, I learned to be average and, um, you know, I guess the theme really is all about ego and such. Um, also, something that grabbed my attention when I got here, people not only were keeping their weight off, but they were talking about they were no longer obsessed with food. And that just seemed beyond imagination. My craving, I used to think, was worse than all of yours, which is why it took me four years to get abstinent. You know, well, they felt it like I did, you know, when you sit there in meetings and feel like that. And... Um, you know, it was removed. The first year, I used to eat dinner with the phone on the table, cause that, and I still mourn because the food disappears from the dinner plate, you know. Um, but it was really, really hard in the beginning, so I put the phone right there. And um, But I just kept very, very active. I pulled all my covers. I went to huge meetings. I spoke at podium you know, at podiums, and what happened, of course, is that then the love connections, you know, if you're back, I was over-anonymous in a way, and then I jumped in with both feet, and that's what changed everything, and I hated it, I didn't want to do it, but I, and I was also told at AA meetings, you know, you thank the speaker no matter what, and that's where I learned it's not about you, it's not about you, you know, and um, it's about that other person, oh, there's another person in the room, you know, <laughs> and, um, which makes me think of the St. Francis prayer, um, which really encapsulates capsulizes it for me. Uh, you know, let me love rather than to be loved. Let me try to understand. And that can be dicey because I can overdo anything. I'm a black and white person, you know, and I don't want to be a doormat at the same time. Um, so, you know, nothing is really that easy. They say it's a very simple program and there can be challenges. <laughs> um, but it does become so much easier 
someone was asking me tonight what's the, what is abstinence in a food plan and I said well we write our we usually write our food down the night before and then we call our sponsor and it started to sound like very regimented and everything and I remember it because I don't do that anymore I did it for years and years I don't do that anymore I just wing it baby because I got it down and um, um, I did what it wasn't the regiment of writing it down it was that I got to talk to someone who loved me every single morning and and it wasn't even I felt like oh I'm obligated to eat these foods today because I told someone it was more like this constant someone was holding my hand and that's what worked for me Um, so it was the love Um, let me try to bring it up Uh, I'm glad we're doing questions because that will be great but today um, what my program looks like today. Um, I'm grateful for the ninth step because I get to continue to make amends when I go wrong, you know. Um, I just recently started a job that's 20 miles away. You can imagine the traffic is hell. And um, so I go to about two meetings a week. I'd say one or two. Um, But in order to stay sane on that commute, I'm on the cell phone, and I'm sponsoring a lot more. I don't know if that it's, it's more than ever, but it's consistent, and I'm really grateful for that. Um, I, as I said, I don't go to, I used to go to seven to nine meetings in the beginning. Don't do that anymore. But I have um, very people now who've become dear friends. It's so hard in the beginning when you don't know anyone and you don't know how much joy it gives someone when you make that phone call, you know, on the other end of the line. Um, and it, that phone feels like it's 100 pounds. Um, but today it's just like, it's just become part of my life, like my favorite, most comfortable pair of jeans. Um, my best friends are in OA and I can speak to them, you know, throughout the day and it doesn't it doesn't feel like I am taking a program action you know it's just a way of life and uh, there was a meeting this morning called the spiritual maintainers and the big book says that it's not about maintaining our spiritual condition it's about enlarging it and that we are at risk of eating again if we don't continue to enlarge our spiritual condition so don't ask me how you do that all I know is that I still have a tremendous hunger for that solace that I feel when, and um, I love actually I just recently and the big book also says to go to outside literature you know and be quick to see where various religions and spiritual people are right so um, frankly lately I've gotten into yoga and there's some a lot of poets that they somehow are drawn into the classes and it's just killer so I'll use the internet I'll email my friend um, the, the recent poems, very, very spiritual are prayers and things like that. And so as I said, it's just become a way of life. Um, extremely grateful. I don't, I almost never weigh myself because the food is not an issue. Um, I mean, sometimes it's an issue too, but it's just become easy and I just like to share that so people know the promises here. Um, and um, I think I'm winding it down. Um, I'm just going to say thank you and open it up to questions. Hi, I'm Jerry, a compulsive old reader. Hi, Jerry. Thank you very much. I think uh, there's a lot of courage to uh, say some of the things that you said. 
there's principles of both personalities. Kind of almost too mixed for you. This, yeah, I'm going to repeat the question is to and continue to enlarge your spiritual life and continue to put principles before personality. How do they work together? Is that right? Yeah. Um, they're, to me, exactly the same thing because those principles of honesty and courage that it took to, for instance, raise that vote at that meeting are as spiritual as they come. Those are spiritual principles, and they are embedded in our 12 steps. And the big book says that this is essentially a spiritual program. And um, for those who don't know that, there is one particular principle for each of the steps. I haven't always sort of adhered to that, but um, I think courage is one of them. And, um, and service. That, that's the other thing is that I, again, I'm just very... You know, I want the program to be there and to be strong for me and for the newcomers. So in a way, and, and because of the reduction of ego and that I don't need it so much anymore that to have everyone love me, it doesn't seem like such a hard effort to go out and do things that people may not like me. Thank you. How do I continue to work the sixth and seventh step? Thanks. That's a great question. Um, those are hard for me. I think, um, let me, for one thing, I continue to write. And that's very closely tied to that. Um, recently I did some writing and then read it to someone, identified all my defects, my part. And then I love, this is what I love to do. I literally get out my big book, open it up, have my writing right there, get on my knees, and read the seven step aloud out of the big book. Um, step, seven step says, um, uh, entirely ready, and that's six. And then um, I have to read it because I'm on the spot. Humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. I'm thinking of something else. But, um, Anyway, I think that's basically how. I pain, it used to be a lot of pain had to motivate me to ask God to remove a character defect. Uh, it's not, it doesn't have to be that bad anymore, but usually it's something that I bump up against and, and ask God. And I think, too, after, um, here's what's changed along those lines, and I'm glad you asked that because I think about this a lot, is that, after 25 years, one second at a time, God-given abstinence, it's not me doing it, um, I've come to realize that it's not about erasing your all of your defects and having a clean slate. And I think that I really, truly believed that in the beginning, that I'll just iron them out, and after all, they caused me so much pain. And now, I mean, friggin' A, after asking, for 25 years, for God to remove these defects and they're not gone, it must be God's will that I still have some of them. Well, that's it. It's a seven-step prayer that says, God, please remove from me every single defect of character that stands in the way of my usefulness to you and to my fellows. Now, I figure that some of my defects must be very useful to God. <laughs> it sounds funny, but it's dead true. Because how can I understand when the newcomer calls and says, I'm being eaten up with my envy of this chick at work, you know, and I go, I can totally relate, and here's what I did. So, um, but 
But and on the other side of that is I, I'm trying to be more and more gentle with myself, and that is this dawning awareness that, you know, I am full of mistakes. I'm full of some of these quote-unquote defects. And let's, you know, just hug them and make a friend out of them. Well, that's another thing I heard. Doc, uh, Father Terry, I think it was, and he says, make a friend of your character defect. And to me, that's a, I'm going on as a long answer, but that's directly related to the food. What never worked for me was fighting the food. I get in the ring with the food, I lost. And I will lose if I try to go there again. And in a way, it's the exact same thing with that, my character defect or any problem in life. Headlong assault of the self-will doesn't go anywhere. So it begins with just that acceptance, acceptance, acceptance. Because um, I'm powerless. I don't have the power. Higher power does. Thanks. Um, you mentioned earlier taking a new newcomer and ha uh, going over the alcoholic foods. Could you give a quick rundown of, like, when you get a new sponsee, the kinds of things you do to sort of, especially ones that are really having trouble with food, get, you know, what kinds of things do you have them do? Okay, that's the first thing we identify, and I have them write it down, the foods you can't just eat one of, and then we create, okay, so what do you eat? Um, and then I ask them to go to, like, a minimum of three meetings a week, and, and one AA meeting a week, um, I reinforce um, I, what was told to me, talk to the newcomers, try to talk to a newcomer at every single meeting, um, take numbers, even if you have just one day, you know, it doesn't matter, even if you're binging, it doesn't matter, because you're practicing that muscle of getting out of yourself. Um, and then we methodically start going through the 12 steps, and I usually work out of, well, most of the time I've done it through the AA 12 and 12. Um, I'm more and more going to the big book as well now. Um, another thing, controversial, uh, I like to tell, this is bad, okay. For me, <laughs> for me, I do not read the OA literature. Pamphlets, yet. But, and, um, and I, if someone wants to work the steps through the OA literature, I can't work with them. To me, this sounds like the Pope and the Catholic Church, but there's one answer, and it's in the big book, and the AA literature. And I'm not ready to risk my recovery on something that's not proven. AA big book is proven. Um, I, you know, I've read the, a lot of those books, and, you know, and I'm not saying I'm right. <laughs> um, but... After all, to honestly give my experience, I have no experience getting abstinent and staying abstinent with those books. So I can't give it away. It says in the big book, you cannot, or somewhere, you cannot give away what you don't have. So I don't have experience with that, and I'm not willing to risk it by going to something else. Um, so that's basically, I think, I answered it. One short one. Well, I hope it's short. <laughs> um, were you skeptical at all when you first started the program? Totally. In every way. Totally. Didn't think I was an overeater. Uh, didn't think I was like those people. Didn't want to do the God thing. Wasn't sure it worked. Didn't like the people. Didn't like the hugging. <laughs> all of that. So, yeah. Run, you know, grab it by the hand, Mr. Skeptical, and bring him with you to the meetings. Okay. 
Thank you.